Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I know what it's like to hear those three words. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. One day I said to my wife, Linda, that I hated the fact that I had cancer. And she looked at me and said, no, sweetheart, we have cancer. This transformed the way I looked at cancer because every one of us is touched by it in some way. Patients and survivors, caregivers and medical professionals, and we all have a story to tell. On each episode, we share those stories to inform, inspire, and provide hope to all of us who are affected by cancer to remind us that we are not alone. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 186 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. Before I get to this week's guest, I've got a big announcement, a really big announcement, and that is that after this episode, two weeks later, on October 5th, I'll be putting out episode 187, and two weeks after that, on October 19th, will be the final episode of the We Have Cancer podcast. Now, I know that most of you listening know about my own personal journey, so don't go jump into any conclusions. This has nothing to do with my health, which continues to be stable, and uh, I'm continuing to feel good and work full-time, exercise, all those things that I pride myself on. But I just felt that, that it, it's time. After six and a half years, over 200 episodes, it's time to move on and do some new things. And I'm still in the process of figuring out what new things means. I would tell you number one on the list of things that intrigue me is to be a motivational speaker. And we'll see if that turns out to be so. And the final episode, episode 188, will come out October 19th. And I'm going to be just me and you. And we'll reminisce a little. We'll talk about things. I imagine there may be a tear or two shed as we reminisce and talk about uh, the history of this show and the amazing people who've been a part of it and those that are no longer with us. But I want to let you know, uh, without making it so sudden on the last episode, that uh, we've got today's episode, one more episode after that, and then we're going to be wrapping it up. The show will continue to be available wherever you have been listening to it. Uh, I'm not taking it down, so people can still find it and uh, and share it with those who need to hear these stories of information, inspiration, and hope. More to come. Let's move on to today's episode where I interviewed Morgan Gaynor. Morgan is an ovarian cancer survivor, and that is extremely appropriate because September happens to be Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month. And in our interview, she shares a really interesting story. And I do want to invite you to check out the details of Morgan and her experience with ovarian cancer by visiting her blog at morganbeatscancer.com. Join me now for my conversation with Morgan Gaynor. Morgan, welcome to the We Have Cancer podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. 
And I was spending some time on your awesome website. And as I mentioned in the intro, but in case somebody wasn't paying attention, it's uh, morganbeatscancer.com. And you had an interesting post, you know, and there's been a lot of conversation over the years that I've done this podcast about words and word choices. And you were kind of seeing some positive signs, but can't say you had gotten to the finish line yet when you chose the word beats. You said, my site's going to be called Morgan Beats Cancer. Did you feel like maybe you might be jinxing it a little or what were your thoughts there? (laughs) Sure. Um, Yeah. So thanks so much for having me. It was definitely a conversation with my family when I chose that to be the title of my website. It was very optimistic of me, but also I think I, I was deliberate with that choice because it wasn't just about me beating my personal cancer battle. I wanted to take that website and and the platform I now kind of had. And it's my goal to beat ovarian cancer for everyone. I want, <laughs> you know, to be a part of raising awareness and funding research that, you know, eventually someday people won't have to hear the words you have cancer or Hopefully they don't hear the words you have stage four ovarian cancer like I did. So sure. that was my that was my goal with that with that name. People have asked me what's the goal been for my podcast, and I said not to have one. Yeah, and I get a funny look, and I said, and they pause and they go, "Oh, oh, I get it. Okay, it's just the same kind of thing, right?" Exactly. Yeah, our visions need to be bold. <laughs> exactly. Yes. What motivated you to want to take this public, not just to deal with your situation and, you know, have a positive outcome, but to put it out there uh, into the digital space with a blog and a website and all those kinds of things. I remember one, uh, one day when I was in the hospital after my surgery, I was sitting with my mom just kind of like having the why us conversation a little bit, <laughs> which I think everyone that's that's had cancer has had that conversation. And, you know, she just kind of said to me, you are a marketing person. Like you studied marketing. At the time of my surgery, I was about four months out from my uh, MBA graduation where I studied communications. And she's like, And I've also always been involved in volunteering and um, philanthropy is kind of like my thing. So she was like, I think you found, you know, your calling. You're going to take this and change, you know, maybe not change the world, but my goal is, (laughs) you know, to just do what I can and make a difference. And and so um, at that point, pretty much no one knew where I was, um, or, or very few people knew where I was. And I picked up my phone and my hands were all swollen from all the IV fluids I was getting. But I just, you know, wrote the post like on my Facebook saying, guys, I'm at Memorial Sloan Kettering. I had, you know, major cancer diagnosis, but I'm going to be okay. And we're going to, we're going to talk about this and, and change it. Um, especially, being diagnosed with ovarian cancer at my age. Um, it's not typical 
for someone in uh, their early 30s to be diagnosed with ovarian cancer. It's much more common for postmenopausal women. So nobody expected that that was going to be my diagnosis when I started seeing doctors. And so I think I wanted to kind of show like this can happen at any time, at any age. If you're born with ovaries, you're at risk for ovarian cancer. And yeah, so that's, that's where I kind of went with that. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the We Have Cancer Show. This month is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month and I can't thank Lee enough for having us on the show. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Brody Nicholas and I have the honor of leading campaign one at a time. This month, we're sponsoring Caden, an 11-year-old cancer patient from Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts. Caden is a mama's boy and loves to study dinosaurs, sharks, and any other animal and is currently battling acute myeloid leukemia. Caden has gone through three rounds of chemotherapy, a bone marrow transplant, five blood transfusions, over 15 platelet transfusions, and so much more. After all that he's been through, we want to help Caden and his family make more memories together outside of the hospital. That's why we're on a mission to raise $10,000 this month to send Caden and his family to Disney World for a much-needed vacation. You can learn more about Caden's campaign and learn how you can help by visiting wehavecantorshow.com forward slash Caden. Thank you so much for listening and helping spread good for more kids like Caden. Yeah, sometimes people are surprised that I don't ask every guest, how did you come to be diagnosed? Because oftentimes it's, I had some symptoms, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the story is is somewhat similar. Your story is a little different, right? You went to your uh, doctor uh, with one agenda and uh, things took a swerve. So I am going to ask you or to share with us, I know the answer. How did you come to be diagnosed? Sure. So um, I was 30 years old. I was um, not in a relationship. (laughs) And I've seen a lot of my friends struggle with fertility in their 20s and their 30s. And I just wanted to try and be proactive. And um, so I went to my primary care physician and OBGYN and they told me, you know, all my blood work was great. My physical was great. I was the vision of health. And they, I asked them, you know, do I have your blessing to go forward with freezing my eggs? And they were all proud of me that I was doing it at 30 years old. Most women kind of go that route in their late thirties. So, um, I made an appointment at a local fertility specialist and it was during my first ultrasound that she noticed I had several large, like what she thought were cysts, um, in my pelvic area. And, um, you know, we kept an eye on them for like two weeks and then I went for an MRI and it was at the MRI after the MRI that she said, um, you know, there are signs of malignancy on these cysts. You have to go to a gynecologic oncologist surgeon. And, you know, the first appointment with my surgeon, she was kind of like, oh, there's nothing here. Like, we'll, we'll revisit this in two weeks. Enjoy your Labor Day, like come back. And when I came back, she was like, no, I'm wrong. There's definitely like something going on and we have to figure that out. So I went for a CAT scan and that showed it had traveled to my chest. So I was looking at a stage four ovarian cancer diagnosis. And immediately had surgery to to fix it. So was surgery the only treatment? For me, that was the recommended route. Um, I had a nine hour 
a debulking surgery that was successful and got all visible signs of disease. And then following surgery, I went through six rounds of chemotherapy. Some women will do three rounds of chemo, then surgery, then more chemo. It just kind of depends on on your doctor's preference or your situation. But for me, surgery was the immediate course of action. You'll have to forgive me. I am not familiar with the term debulking surgery. Cancer world has all of these like words that <laughs> you don't know until you're... I thought I knew yeah. most of them, but you got me on that one. Yeah, so debulking, <laughs> I get... Well, I guess mine was considered a debulking surgery, but that's where they go in and they remove you know, the, infect, the, the disease from especially the abdomen. Um, ovarian cancer set, tends to spread very far through the abdomen because it's such an open space and the ovaries are kind of an open organ. But mine was, my debulking ended up removing everything. It wasn't just like get what we can. It was get all of it, which was amazing. Very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel today? Um, I feel good. I, uh, I'm about almost a year and a half out from my final chemo. I had my final chemo in February of 2020. And now I take a daily hormone blocker. Um, my particular you know, strain of cancer was hormone driven. So I take an estrogen blocker every day for at least five years. And that should, should keep me cancer free. That sounds good to me. That's the goal. <laughs> How has this changed you? You know, what's different about you now versus when this all started, Morgan? Um, I mean, my, my whole life is different. Um, I would say most of it is from cancer. A lot of it is also from the pandemic. I, you know, early 2019, I was going to an office every day, volunteering with the Junior League of Monmouth County in New Jersey, um, finishing my MBA. And... Now, you know, I, I work from home. I've been very, you know, I, I, I stay home a lot. <laughs> Whereas, you know, single 30 something or, you know, early 30s, I was seeing my friends all the time. Now I'm like very careful about, you know, going out. I still volunteer with the Junior League of Monmouth County, but I definitely am doing a lot more with the ovarian cancer community. I've joined the board of Star Ovarian Cancer Foundation, which is the first U.S.-based organization dedicated to funding research for low-grade serous ovarian carcinoma, which is the disease I was diagnosed with. I also am an advocacy leader with OCRA, the Ovarian Cancer Research Alliance, and you know, just trying to post on social and let people know like what's going on and, and my story. What's the advocacy work meant to you? What's that experience been like? It's pretty cool getting to speak with, you know, representatives of, you know, my state and just telling them my story and how important it is that they support cancer research. Um, I'm very fortunate to live in a state that does support cancer research. Um, it's kind of wild to me that, that some of my fellow advocates in other states have to like fight tooth and nail to get, you know, their reps to agree to increasing that that funding. And when you consider how much money our government spends and how little of it goes to cancer research, it's just, it's mind blowing because the only way we're going to 
get rid of these disease is, is through research. And I think if this last year taught us anything is that when, when our, when our country sets our mind <laughs> to fixing a health problem, they can do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, it test takes people like you, you know, to put the spotlight, you know, on these issues and all it takes is, uh, you know, someone's story like yours resonating with somebody else to, to make that difference, right? Yeah. And that's amazing that you're doing that kind Thank of work. What has surprised you about your experience? I think it's what's interesting now is looking back, it feels like it went so fast. When I was in, you know, the day-to-day of going through treatment and, and trying and, and recovering, it felt like it was going to be like a lifetime before I felt better and like felt like myself. And now that I'm on the other side and feeling better, it's like, it almost feels like a dream sometimes. Like, did that really happen? (laughs) Um, You know, I have my scars to remind me, but I, I, I almost feel like how quickly, you know, the body can bounce back when, when, you know, the situation is ideal is, is kind of shocking. It's it's nice to have that feeling that you can start to put it in the rearview mirror. But as we all know, it's not really there kind of permanently, as you mentioned in one of your posts. Right? Yeah. Talk a little bit. You, you touched on, you know, COVID. I mean, you were you know kind of in the thick of things when COVID hit. Uh, what, talk about what some of those challenges were for you. It was definitely a bit of a of a anticlimactic end to, to treatment. One of the things that, you know, when, when you're going through treatment and and freshly diagnosed with cancer, um, support groups and counselors and, you know, people on the internet, will say like, don't let cancer control your life or make your decisions for you. Like you need to live the best you can. And, you know, finishing treatment in February, early March, I was, I was starting to, you know, see better blood results and, my immune system was kind of coming back <laughs> and then it was quickly like, no, don't leave the house. Um, so, you know, I was kind of, I, and, and my, my surgery and treatment went so quickly. Like there were a few like friends that I hadn't even had a chance to see at that point. And now it's, you know, a year and a half later and there's still a few friends that I haven't had a chance to, to see because of, you know, the world shutting down. I had friends that had plane tickets booked to come to New Jersey and visit and they couldn't. Hopefully, you know, over the next few months, I'll, I'll start to <laughs> reconnect with everybody. Um, but my surgery also left me like permanently immune compromised. I had my spleen um, and my omentum and a few lymph nodes removed, which are all like big parts of your immune system. And I think sometimes I forget how much that will probably you know, be a thing for me going forward. I know my, my doctors have told me, you know, the vaccines that I'll get every year will, will help, but it's also, I mean, I feel like masks in public are going to be a thing that we'll see, you know, in, in certain places, maybe forever, which for me is kind of cool. Like, you know, the thought of getting on a subway during cold and flu season as an immune compromised person would be terrifying. <laughs> sure. Um, but now, you know, if I put a mask on, I guess it wouldn't be that weird. Yeah. I mean, people forget, you know, you, you look online pre COVID 
And doing just that, you know, wearing mass public transportation, especially like in places like Asia, it's just a common thing. Right. It's just, you know, nobody bat an eye about it, right? Yeah. Everybody did it. And uh, if that's what you got to do to keep, uh, if that's what we have to do to keep ourselves safe, uh, small price to pay, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> You know, one of the things that we cancer patients are reminded to to not forget uh, is self-care, right? And taking care of ourselves, not just physically, but emotionally. And I was really touched by one of your posts where you wrote a letter to you. Tell us about that and where that idea came from. There's this organization in New Jersey called Mary's Place by the Sea, and um it's a retreat house for women um, either going through treatment or within like their first year of completing treatment. And they also offer like, so it's, you would go for a weekend and stay overnight with like nine other, nine other women. And, and they offer all sorts of services. It's just, it's amazing. And I, I went the weekend before my last chemo and they had a support group for local women that I joined. And um, it was quickly, you know, moved virtually during the pandemic. Um, but one of the the assigned homework assignments we had was to write a letter to ourselves um, from a voice of love and support. And uh, I thought it was such a great exercise that I, I posted it on my blog, thinking that, you know, one, one, definitely something I've learned through all of the support groups and therapies I've done over the last year is that we don't really learn these tools, like these tools. It's not something taught in school. And when you finally get to experience that, I feel like I've grown a lot and, and appreciate myself and, and my experience a lot more. Um, you know, it's really easy to be angry and, and, hate your body and <laughs> things like that. Like after this experience, um, another letter that we wrote to ourselves was, um, a letter of gratitude for different parts of our body and, and what they do for us. One thing I, I said was like, I'm grateful for my mouth. It gives me the opportunity to advocate for myself and, and share my experience and advocate for others. And I just, again, it was just another like really cool way to to process what I was going through. I've interviewed many women and, you know, it comes up, especially younger, that whole uh, part about self-image, right? And we don't look the same as we did before we got sick. How do you process that? And more importantly, advice for other young women who might be going through a similar experience, Morgan? Um, it's definitely a struggle. Um, (laughs) I, you know, I have a huge scar on my stomach. Um, I'm also in menopause, which is, uh, challenging in its own. And the medications I'm on have, you know, a lot of side effects that I've, I've been dealing with. I've since treatment, I've gained about 35 pounds, (laughs) which going into, uh, bathing suit season at the Jersey shore is definitely not (laughs) a fun place to be. And, you know, I, like most people, I have days where I'm hard on myself, but then, you know, I remember everything that I put my body through, you know, I basically was at war with my body for a year almost. So I try to remind myself to be gentle 
with myself and and forgive myself and allow myself the chance to heal. Like I'm, I'm probably still healing more than I remember, you know? So our bodies are, are, it's, it's a weird relationship with your body after cancer. It's something that you were fighting and then now also trying to heal and love. So I just try and try and err on the side of heal and love. <laughs> and I love that. And I don't think, you know, listening to you talk about it, there's different aspects, but that is not a gender specific struggle, right. right? I mean, there are side effects of surgeries and treatments uh, that leave us different than we were before. Some of it's visible, mm-hmm. some of it's pain, some of it's, you know, the list goes on and on. And there is that struggle between being upset with that side effect and then remembering to be grateful that the treatment that caused that side effect also is the reason why you're still here. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird balance. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, uh, there's quite a bit of an age difference between you and I, and obviously a gender difference, but you know, same thing, right? You know, when something hurts or, you know, the, the litany of side effects that they never tell you about, and you get frustrated, and then you have to take that step back and go, oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> kind of minor in the scheme of things. Yeah. Right? I mean, I remember when they sent me home with the packet, the packet and pages of side effects <laughs> for chemo. And I was like, well, how do I know which one I'm going to have? And I had pretty much all of them <laughs> at some point. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. But- What's your vision, uh, you know? Uh, short-term, long-term for your website and for your work? I I hope to just, you know, continue to use my website to share my experience um, with women that are facing ovarian cancer or just people facing any cancer or people who have friends or family members. Um, you know, I, I have... I was one of the first of my friends, you know, to, as a young person, I think a lot of AYA or uh, adolescent and young adult (laughs) cancer patients will, will be able to relate to. And the thing is, it's hard to know how to support somebody that's been diagnosed with cancer. So I hope to try and share some of the things that I found useful on that site with people. And what I've loved too is, is social media has made it so easy to connect with women or, you know, anyone around the country or around the world. Um, I've, you know, interacted with women from France, New Zealand, Australia, um, around the country. Um, they, they see my posts and reach out to me and it's really cool to be able to support them and then also have them for me to reach out to if I'm struggling with something. Um, it's a very tight knit group. The, the, we call them the Teal Sisters. The Teal Sisters. We all have our color. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what does that feel like to not only have people from around the world reach out to you, but to build that bond that uh, you can reach out to? Nobody wants to be in this club. <laughs> but when you're in it, you will find amazing people. And I feel I've made some really 
cool friends that I never would have had I not had this experience. And I guess it's the silver lining on the dark cloud. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. You hear that all the time. Yeah, like you and I would have never had this conversation. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And then we get to talking and, you know, we know some other people, you know. Uh, you know, we've got that connection. Uh, shout out to our friend Jess Nelson of the uh, My Cancer Story podcast. Uh, I interviewed her. She interviewed me. Uh, she interviewed you. She's going to interview yeah. me, right? <laughs> so there, you're right. There is that that connection. Uh, it's that club nobody wants to be a part of, but you sure do come across amazing people when you when you do. And I would certainly say that. Morgan, you are one of those people. Thank so you. So we really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your story and uh, much respect and admiration, not just for putting yourself out there and sharing your story, but as you said, using your mouth to <laughs> to try to make a difference. And that's that's an extra layer, an extra step of of uh, you know making an impact in the cancer world. So. Uh, as someone who has also been touched by ovarian cancer, that means a lot to me too. Thank you. Be well, my friend. Thanks, you too. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter.